Hi, and welcome to Evangelos, your podcast about discipleship, biblical literacy, and historical and cultural context. I am one of the co-hosts here, Don Sheever. Our other co-host, George, is not available today. So in his place, we have the awesome Lee Johnson. So Lee, why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners uh, and share maybe a couple things about yourself and maybe how we know each other or whatever you want to do. Hello, this is Lee Johnson. I am currently crocheting a scarf for a friend. Uh, like literally right now while we're on the podcast, you're crocheting. Not just like at some place in your life, there's a scarf that will be crocheted. You are literally... That's true. I'm holding the yarn and the hook. I've paused right. because I can't both crochet and talk at the same time. Well, this um, is going to be difficult for you then. Okay, I'm no longer crocheting a scarf. <laughs> um... Let's see. I met Dom when we both lived in Virginia. Um, I met this person Friday who turned out to be a friend of Don's. And the next day the guy is like, hey, do you want to go play games with me and my friend? And I was like, I guess so. And that's how I met Don. So, and we are neither of us are too friendly with that guy. Just, you know, relationships fade. And, but we're still best friends. There you go. Yep. So began over board games. Yeah. So now you're someone that I had the privilege of discipling while I was in Virginia and you graduated from the discipleship process. Um, any uh, warnings or positives that you want to share with listeners about what that experience was like to have intentional discipleship? Because, you know, a lot of our listeners listen because we talk about the concepts of discipleship and everything. So anything you'd like to share about that process? Yes, I'm going to give a little bit of like background about the first time I met Don to lead into it. So I go into Don's apartment, and on the outside of his door is a mezuzah. Um, for those who aren't familiar, that's uh, the, how would you say, that the Jewish scroll people hang on the door. Mm-hmm. That um, has Deuteronomy 6 in it, yeah. Yep. Um, and I go into his 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 apartment, and there's bookshelves and bookshelves, and it's like this mix of Judaism and Christianity, and, I'm, and I am, you know, at some point in the evening, I'm, I finally get the courage to go, are you a, Don, are you a Messianic Jew? And Don goes, no. I was like, are you just a regular Jew? And he goes, no. And I was like, what are you? <laughs> yeah, your bookshelves are very confusing. Yeah. And he goes, I'm just a Christian that loves Judaism because something about, you know, Jesus being a Jew. And Don was pretty much the first person I ever really met who, like, affirmed, like, and I had kind of had similar feelings. Like, I wanted to learn more about Judaism because... Jesus was Jewish, yeah, and just the the cultural like implications for the textual learnings really impl- interested me. And Don was the first person I met who really affirmed that. Mm-hmm. And it was so then to go through a discipleship where I got to fully engage and um, acknowledge my desires for that was very affirming. And just the way he helped unfold the text for me and just learning. And the resources he pointed me to have been um, very life-giving, very affirming. Awesome. Yeah, they've been to me too. And, you know, even just the discipleship process with you as well has been one of my highlights. So I've enjoyed that as well. Yeah, we're kind of on to like discipleship 2.0. I'm like your mentee now or something. Yeah. In fact, actually, this podcast is being recorded during a session that we, uh, session seems weird to say, but during a time that we would have been doing discipleship. And instead, I suckered Lee into unknowing to her, I suckered her into a podcast. So, yeah, part of it, he needed this done and I was available and all of us, so I was not really that prepared for discipleship with the topic to talk about. So, so really, at the end are. of the day, it's your fault, Lee. 
Yes. Clearly. Usually is. <laughs> I'm very good at taking responsibility. Especially for my actions, right? Mm. So, Lee, let me ask you, um, because one of the, the, the parts of discipleship that uh, people either are very frustrated with with me or thrive in is that I don't like to answer questions. <laughs> is that fair to say? Um, yes, point it mildly. Okay. So, but now is your chance. Because on the podcast, I, I'm going to, to actually respond to some of the questions that you might have. Uh, maybe not completely, but, you know, uh, but I'm going to be a little bit more forthright with my ideas and thoughts. on. It. So this is in some ways an opportunity for you to kind of get a little bit of maybe revenge for all those years of uh, me not answering any questions for you. Uh, as the wheels turn in Lee's head of like, oh, maybe I want to change what I want to talk about. Yes, that's going through my head, but I'm way too pressured and can't think of all the things I actually want you to answer right Whew. now. So I'm glad that you are not an improv person then. All right. Um, so Lee, what is it that, um, you know, you mentioned to me before we started recording that there was a couple things on your mind. Uh, and so let's, let's pull one of those out and let's talk about it. Sure. Um, for our listeners, I'm a person who like has to give background and story to before I get like to a question. So for all y'all's information, we're recording this what Tuesday after Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. um, Don and I currently live in Toledo. I visited where we had been in Virginia. I still have friends there, and they. I met them while we both attended Southern Baptist Church. So when I was in a very different place. You and that family met. Yes. Me and the family I visited, we met at a Southern Baptist church. So not Don was not part of that church. Yeah, Southern ever. Baptist churches would just spit me out pretty much immediately. Is that because you're, you're lukewarm in there? <laughs> yes, I am very lukewarm. No, that's what uh, happens when you put Skywalker in a tauntaun. He's lukewarm. <laughs> uh... <laughs> George, where were you, man? I had a Star Wars joke. Where were you? He had better things to do. Fair enough. Um, so anyway, visiting this family and they still like hold to many of those Southern Baptist conservative Christian views and I have changed drastically. Um, yeah. So doing Thanksgiving, we talk about what we're thankful for and kind of one of the questions I wanted to ask my friend but wasn't quite comfortable is like, is like, you know, is she happy? Like they had, they've lived in the Blacksburg area about 15 years and moved there from Northern Virginia. I wanted to be like, are you happy here? Are you happy you made this decision? Like, how do you know you're happy? You know, what, what gave you hope about this? And I didn't because anytime I try to start those conversations, when even when being in a, being myself a Southern Baptist in those circles, it usually goes back to, well, I have hope in Jesus because he's the sacrificial lamb. And I have, mm. uh, I have, you know, I'm, I'm happy because I have faith in eternal salvation after this because Jesus died on the cross. And So do you feel like that's like deflecting instead of sharing what maybe you perceive would be their, their genuine feelings? Or do you feel that, so they're deflecting away from their genuine feelings by saying these like Hallmarkian mm -hmm. type statements? Or do you think that that actually has become their genuine feelings? I think it's a mix of it i okay. think you know if you tell yourself something enough times it you you uh, internalize it and 
part of why I ask these questions because I I struggle with depression for about two thirds of my life at this point. Sure. Um, and those answers, like that, has never been seemed to be enough for me. Mm. And so when they say that, like it's whether they mean it or whether they're deflecting, like either way, it's very unsatisfying. Okay. So what is the question that comes out of that for you? Um, I'm, I mean, one question, I guess that's floating in my mind, more relevant to this podcast and is like, what's the biblical foundation for hope in this life? And what's, what's biblical happiness? And what does it mean to have peace in this life? Yeah. Yeah. I was just talking to Sarah, a mutual friend of ours that I disciple. And we were talking about how is it that Paul is shipwrecked. Paul is beaten. Paul is in prison. Paul is thrown off a cliff. Yet Paul seems to have peace, joy, hope. So in our conversation, we were trying to talk about this idea of like, where does Paul find that peace? Where does Paul find that hope when it seems like everything around Paul has literally fallen apart, uh, whether it's his boat? Or whether it's, you know, just life is not the way that he imagined it was going to go. And so what is it about Paul's outlook on the world or Paul's understanding of God that allows him to experience hope even in the midst of some of the most uh, horrendous situations? So do you have any thoughts about that? Like, what do you imagine is is Paul's reason. I mean, other than, you know, I have the hope of Jesus, blah, blah, blah. Um, well, my first reaction, just to, when everyone brings up Paul and his hope and his joy and, um, I guess, sidebar, thinking of this earlier, I think I define joy differently than happiness or hope. Okay. Um, joy, I guess I define as a very spiritual thing. Hmm. Um, but with Paul, it could so be an like, atheist can't have joy. I guess it depends if the atheist considers himself spiritual. Okay, fair enough. Like, yeah, spiritual, not necessarily. Did I say religious the first time? No, you said okay, spiritual. Okay, spiritual. Yeah. Um, and then something else I think about whenever I hear about Paul and his joy and happiness and hope and blah 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 is that like I really dislike him. <laughs> oh, that you don't like Paul? I'm just like. Um, yeah, and it's just well, like... Or you don't like the Southern Baptist Paul. Um, I don't know any other Paul, so, I mean, mostly just, I guess, what I know of Paul, whatever sort of sure. image of him I have, I dislike because I'm like, how, like, how do you do that? Like, how are you that way? Like, mm. And, like, is there just some giant cultural difference gulf that, like, I can't cross to get where you he was? So, like, yeah. Well, in our conversation today, Sarah brought up something really interesting to me that I had never considered. And she said something to the effect of, and uh, Sarah, if you happen to be listening, forgive me uh, if I if I butcher this. But this idea that like, you know, so if Paul was at the uh, stoning of Stephen, which the text says he was, so we have no reason to believe he wasn't. Mm-hmm. He was on one side yeah. of the anger and the frustration of what Christians were were doing and maybe the perceived chaos Christians were creating. Then he has his experience on the road to Damascus. 
and in that he now uh, has come to understand Jesus as Messiah. And so now he finds himself quite literally in many situations in the same spot as Stephen. And so he went from one side to the exact opposite side. And I wonder if in some way, and again, credit to Sarah on this, is that that helped him to understand. And I think it's the understanding piece, like understanding how you ended up here that allows you to possibly still experience joy and hope in a situation, right? Like uh, not just knowing the facts. So I'm differentiating between like knowledge and wisdom. Does that make sense? So like, uh, like there's facts. He ended up yeah. shipwrecked because the boat yes. crashed or the boat was destroyed in the storm. That's facts. But I would say there's a wisdom in recognizing that he lived, he survived, and that he ended up meeting these people on this in this land that were really hospitable, all this stuff. And so his wisdom, and maybe the shipwreck's not the easiest one to come to that with, but like the pr- imprisonment, that he knew what he was teaching was good enough for the world to hear that it made the cost of imprisonment worthwhile. Does that make sense? And so having seen Stephen, who was willing to die for this, and him standing by and watching that literally happen, to now he's in that place, I think that that creates something that's interesting, right? Like that, that helps us to understand a little bit more. I think about, you know, uh, Brother Lawrence seemed to have kind of that same mentality that like, if uh, in his complications in his situations he was still thankful that he got to serve god that it didn't matter if he was just scrubbing floors in a kitchen of a monastery that the idea that for his living he was serving god uh, was something that he blessed god for because he had something beyond knowledge and was more about wisdom so would you differentiate at all between like knowledge and wisdom and do you think that has anything to do with how some people can find hope or happiness in situations that maybe we can't imagine having hope and happiness. Let me let me gather my thoughts. I'm not as good at this improving off the cuff as You're you. You're fine. You're doing great. I do understand the distinction you are trying to convey. And um, going back to my trip back to Virginia, like I, part of why I really enjoyed it this year is even and last year as well as it gives me a little bit more gives me a chance to gain perspective on where I am currently in life you know and I mean not physically but like you know path wise sure if that makes sense yeah of course um and on some level I am very grateful and thankful to be in Toledo it's the growth I've had here, the opportunities I've had to grow and to reflect and to to rest and whatnot. But I guess even just being back in Toledo, I'm I'm much less happy about being here now that I am here than I was, you know, this time two days ago. So and why is that? What do you think? Um to kind of take language I've used in other church experiences. It's like, um, I would say Virginia is kind of like that mountaintop experience. Like I can see the path, I can see where I'm going and where I've come. 
and coming back here, it's going back into the valley where it's a lot harder to navigate mm-hmm. and where it's a lot easier just to see the challenges that surround me and not the challenges I've overcome. Mm-hmm. So then how, how do you imagine that happiness is found here? Um, I think if I knew, we probably wouldn't be having this discussion. Right. Well, do you have any sense (laughs) of, I think like the idea of gratitude and thankfulness is part of it, but just, and not to say I'm more grateful now that I'm here than I was a few days ago away from it. But I think something that I struggle with, with this, with peace and happiness and joy and hope and whatever you want, like in like that whole mesh of emotions is that to me, they are very fleeting. Mm-hmm. It seems very hard for me to hold on to any sort of like satisfaction and, um, for very long. Yeah. So do you, do you think that that's something that like the family that you got the opportunity to spend time with over Thanksgiving do you feel like they feel similarly or do you feel like they are living in perpetual happiness, joy, and hope? I'd say somewhere in the middle ground. Like I think there's a certain level of satisfaction and peace in their life for um, the majority of it. And, you know, again, going back to me struggling with depression, this could be part of that, but just that, and also the way our culture is just set up, but just seems to me that other people seem to find that, that peace more steadily than, than me. So I I think that's an interesting statement because I think a lot of our listeners would disagree. No, no, no. How unhappy they are. No, I, I think a lot of people would resonate with what you're saying. Right. And, and talk about the fact that, yeah, I hear you. I feel like everyone around me has their life more together. I feel like everyone around me is happier. They're more at peace. They have more hope. And I think this comes back to something bigger than just, uh, you know, hashtagging emotions on social media. I think this comes back to we have not had it demonstrated to us or have not um, lived out amongst our friends and family authenticity to say i'm not okay right that to say like things are not good right now i'm lacking hope i'm lacking peace i'm lacking love whatever it might be and instead we don't want to be a burden to each other and we know that other people have problems that are probably bigger than ours and so we just we swallow these emotions and we don't want to be a downer on social media. So the only thing we post on social media is, you know, friend hugs and seeing family and all these happiness pictures. And so we've really built this, you know, think of it like the matrix. I mean, we've really built this alternative world <gasps> that is built on this false sense of happiness, hope, and peace. And I think that most people, I mean, I think there are people that are listening that would say, oh, I'm at peace. I have contentment. I have hope. But I think I think what you said probably resonates with more people than it doesn't. And that people feel like, why haven't I figured this out yet? And 
so I just want to, I don't know if it's encouraging or discouraging, but I want to let you know that like what you're saying is I think where a lot of people are, I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's unique in the sense of how come I don't have this yet? Or why am I in a valley? And it seems like everyone else is on a mountaintop. And when in reality, I think most of us have just lied to ourselves that where we are is the mountaintop. Hmm. And, or at least lie in our uh, public persona. Like things are good, things are great, right? Um, I don't know, what are your thoughts? Um, one thing I really appreciate about our friendship and it's pretty much been this way, I think from the get go is they're both very authentic with each other and very open. Um, like <laughs> I'm sharing with you on a podcast about, you know, how, why, how I'm struggling with finding like some sort of peace and happiness. And I know, and I know that I'm talking about other people being happy and like, uh, sorry, Don, but you like. I, I don't necessarily call you one of the happy people in my life. Like I, I, I don't know. I, there's authenticity. I see your struggles regularly. Um, and does that make you feel more at peace in our friendship? Does that, I mean, how does that impact you? Because I think that's a great statement. I mean, at first when you <laughs> say that, I'm kind of like, oh, that sucks. But then I'm like, no, actually... You know, I've been sick the last couple years and it's been a really hard journey for me and for my family. And so you have gotten the real dawn in the midst of that. And so, yeah, I wouldn't expect you to know me as the happy dawn, at least at this moment. So um, when you when you think about that and you think about then the people, the friendships or the relationships you have where the people are happy, quote unquote, um, Tell me what you think about those, comparing those two relationships. What is that? I feel like you're asking me a lot of questions. I was, and I was just hoping you'd pick one and run with it. Okay. I mean, I think I'm, I'm kind of starting, like, I feel like I start to, and then, like, I'm a very, I plod at first, and you just take off at a sprint and just like, oh, okay, on to the next question. Like, I, like, you're talking about people swallowing because other people have bigger problems, and, like, yeah. a lot of times I... I feel that way with you. I'm like, what am I whining about? Like my health is my mental and physical health are both pretty, pretty stable and good. Like, mm. you know, I haven't like, I have more than enough energy to get through every day Yeah, and, uh, you know, enough energy to push through any sort of despair and lack of motivation I have. Um, shoot. Hold a second. Uh, what do you, Oh, comparing my friendships with people always happy. Um, yeah. Hmm. I think it depends. I think the hard thing about right now, this you know season or whatnot that I'm going through, is that I have felt more at peace and more more peaceful and more happy and more I don't know other words in the past. So it's hard for me to be like, why am I not feeling this now? Mm. Like you know, it's like I still am doing things, things I enjoy, and I'm trying to take care of myself. And why does it seem like my efforts aren't enough? Yeah, that can be really tough. Yeah, and I can, like, some of the people I know who are happy or who seem really happy, I'm like, you're just really good at compartmentalizing and not addressing your issues and just putting on that happy face. And um, which and that's heart-wrenching. Which 
I mean, yes, it's heart wrenching because I'm like, you know, that's I just want to shake these people and be like, it's not good for you in the long term. Like, mm-hmm. and then I see some of my friends who just seem to have reached a season in life where they're just very satisfied or whatnot. Like, I can think of a mutual friend of ours who moved here. Like, they're job hunting, but I know that a lot of ways they're pretty happy with their life. Like, they get time to be investing creativity that they want to, and you know find value in what they're doing and just seem much more satisfied than I've seen them in other parts of their life. And it's just, I don't know, I guess it's, I don't know if part of me is just discontent that someone else has something I don't and something that I want. Sure. Well, I think that that brings us to an interesting thing then to talk about happiness, right? Mm -hmm. Like does happiness, can happiness happen in a vacuum? Um, No, there's not real. I mean, like, how, like, what would, I don't know, what would make you happy in a vacuum? So, well, I'm not sure, but like, what do you think? Like, do you feel that um, happiness is, is a comparison game, right? Like that without someone to compare yourself to, how can you know that you're happy or that you should be happy or that you should be happy with the way things are going for you, right? Like if I think mm. about my life in isolation from everyone else's lives around me where I play the comparison game, how would I know that I shouldn't be satisfied with where I am in life um, and therefore feel dread about not adulting well um, <laughs> or whatever it might be? Like can happiness, is it something that is a self-contained emotion or is it something that we're dependent on other people? So in some ways, what, what's coming to my mind, and I, um, I love your thoughts on this, is that in some ways, people are happier the more uh, the people around them aren't. <laughs> um, because they can look at their life and go, you know, my life is going so much better than Don's. I met someone this morning and I was like, oh, I think this person's more life is more of a mess than mine. I'm like, oh, I feel a little bit better about myself today. Right? Like, and again, I think that's a pretty normal, like, I don't know that many people would just flat out admit that, right? But I think that's a pretty normal. I think I have lots of thoughts about this. Okay, good. So We have a little bit of time, so fill it up. Um, so one, I wonder if it's cultural. Like, if you, like, you know, I know you've read some Russian novels mm-hmm. and, like, suffering seems to be like this almost unavoidable part of the novels like in fact that seems to be like what the novels in are fact, about reading some of those nine hundred thousand page novels is suffering in and of itself yes and just i mean and they just seem to have a very different perspective about suffering and life and the point of life so part of me wonders if it's deeply cultural like um, some u.s perspective versus russian perspective versus other cultures so may i ask a clarifying question yes would you say that american culture comparatively at least to let's go with the romantic my, russian novels yes to my limited yes right. so we're not talking of, to modern putin russia we're talking yeah. like the the romantic russian novels of like dostoevsky and stuff, yeah right? and someone who's very ignorant of russian culture maybe. sure so would you say that americans have the opposite expectation like Russians expect, and it's kind of built into their story before their story is written, mm. that there will be suffering. And Americans have a uh, sort of a um, entitlement to Ooh. happiness. 
that exists that's built into their story like you'll grow up and you'll have a big wedding and you'll meet the person of your dreams and you'll have a nice house in the suburbs and a white picket fence yeah. and like so you're Two and a half kids the half kid is always so obnoxious right but like this this picture for us is established of like very fairy tale ending yeah. Right. Whereas I would say maybe Russian is more, uh, what are the, uh, oh, they made a TV show. You, you know who I mean. I just can't think of it. Uh, Red Riding Hood, who wrote all those, the, uh, uh Grimm's Brothers. Yes. Where if we, we actually, even in Western culture, have changed the yeah, Grimm's Brothers, uh, storytelling to make it less, suffering more palpable to our culture right and child friendly yes yes much like we've done with biblical stories right no one ever talks about noah's ark with the dead bloated bodies bumping against the boat everywhere Um, they went i was just gonna go for a more simple one like the something you taught me well actually i think i learned from ray vandalon podcast or something uh was it uh you'll leave uh, those fields of alfalfa um, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He'll lead me in green pastures. Right. And we in U.S. culture, you think of green pasture like you think some some field filled with grain or corn. Right. We're picturing or just, uh, the sound of music. Yes. Oh, yeah. Beautiful. Yes. And what they really mean is like I do not even know a good cultural reference to reference right now. Like a more much more deserty green field with like. Right. Grass here Barely there. any grass at all, right? Yes. That, that, but there's just enough for your herd. If you keep moving. Right. Yeah. yeah. That there's just enough to get from place to place. Absolutely. Yeah. You can't like frolic and roll around in those grassy fields because they're way too rocky. Yes. I guess it's like a... like. What is her name? Julie Andrews uh, oh, yeah. would not be spinning and singing in her Holland looking yeah. dress. Yeah. I guess it's the difference between like farming and like the heartland of America, the green basket versus mm. trying to farm in New, New England where it's super rocky, much more sustenance-based. Right. Um, what does it say? So happiness. Oh, yeah. So back to cultural. So, yes. So idea of Christian culture starts with suffering. American has entitlement to just no suffering and has a very fairy tale-esque um, tale that we tell a ourselves. Censored Grimm's fairy tale, yeah. Yes. And to talk about like, and again, just even talking about this cultural differences like the cultural differences we see when we interpret that psalm that our picture of a green pasture is much different than than what we would be disappointed yes right like if we if we were promised green pastures and we got the green pastures that were promised in scripture we would kind of give a wtf right we'd be like really what what like i got bait and switched i was told green pastures yep when i like i think when I first heard that, and maybe even still now, like it fills me with like half half hope and half despair. I'm like, oh, I'm never going to get to the green pastures that I have envisioned because that's just not that's like that was a false promise. Mm. And then part of me is comforted by the fact that, oh, this is why life is suffering all the time. And because mm. I have to keep moving to find more sustenance and more grass to Can I can I try and flip that a little bit? Okay. So, like, if your expectations were realistic, Mm -hmm. so if your expectations were that there would be enough grass to sustain you to survive through the desert, Mm -hmm. 
and then you experience enough grass to sustain you through the desert. Your hope in God, your peace with God would abound. Absolutely. Yeah. Because you would be, see that God had been faithful to provide these patches of grass as you're moving your flock of sheep or whatever through and that they are fed and they are cared for and you, therefore your family and your village is cared for. And so you would actually experience hope and peace. But if you were given the same promise, but your expectation was a lush field and instead you got patches of grass, you would actually have the opposite response to it and feel like God failed. And mm-hmm. is this what you promised? And, and I think that that's, I think that's really helpful for us to picture, to figure out this picture of happiness. Like what is it that God has promised us versus what have we assumed that we're entitled to and therefore either God has failed or that we have failed mm-hmm. because we didn't get this, this lush field. Yeah. And since I think we both know this more of a note to the listeners, like this idea of expectations and is critical to how we feel satisfaction or disappointment regarding almost anything. Absolutely. Like I was talking to someone like, Oh, what's your favorite uh, Marvel cinema universe movie? And they're like, Oh, guardians of the galaxy. And they're like, I wasn't expecting much. And it totally surpassed it. And like I talk about seeing, I think it was, Moana and I was like everyone just hyped it up so much and then I was like oh this I had such high expectations and it just didn't meet it so yeah um so yeah, yeah and it's rare the movie that you have high expectations and it still meets those expectations yeah. right yeah so yeah just our so yes and to go back to the topic more at hand like yeah I think a lot of what I've struggled to do is to recalibrate my expectations without it feeling like you're uh losing something Mm-hmm. Right, because when we recalibrate from that lush field to the patches of grass, um, it's easy to assume that we gave up something when we really never gave anything up. It was a fairy tale, so to speak, that we would get green pastures. Uh, it wasn't true, um, but when we adjust our expectations, we're able to find contentment. But it's really hard to do that without feeling resentment as well that the green pastures that maybe well-meaning parents, well-meaning leaders in our life, community leaders, pastors, whatever, Mm -hmm. kind of gave us. It's it's kind of like the health and wealth type teaching and thought, right? That if you have enough faith that you will be healed, if you have enough faith that your bills will be taken care of. Um, Well, maybe not. Uh, But your life will have patches of grass to sustain you through um, whatever that means. And oftentimes I would even argue, you know, that health and wealth type mentality alleviates others from having to be the patches of grass in your life. Right. Like they go, well, you just have enough faith. And if you, if you fall on your face, well, that's on you. And in reality, Mm -hmm. a corporate faith would say, nope, you know what? Sometimes in your journey, Lee, I need to be the patch of grass that sustains you. And other times you're the patch of grass that sustains me. And I think that that is where hope and peace and happiness grows from, is both knowing that I can depend on you to be a patch of grass when I need it, and also knowing that when you also need something, I can be that patch of grass. And I think that's where happiness is seeded, right? Um, Whereas this other vision is we don't need anybody. 
right? This big lush green field. If, mm-hmm. we, if that's ours, we don't we don't need really? anybody. It's very individualistic. Right. We can just you know it's the story of you know the brother saying to ask have my brother divide up the inheritance and Jesus tells a story about the rich man who tears down his barns and builds even bigger barns. Yeah. He, he doesn't need anybody and he's going to eat, drink and be merry the rest of his life. All alone. All alone. And because he no longer needs anyone yet, the passage seems to imply that there are people suffering around him, that he could be that patch of grass for them. Yeah. And he's actually truly missing out because on this night you will die and then you won't have ever gotten to enjoy it, right? Mm-hmm. And so you could have all along been this patch of grass. I want to go back talking about this idea of communal mm-hmm. faith and us being patches of grass for others versus individualistic, where when we have reach out our fossil field, we don't need other people to be patches of grass for us. You had asked if I think happiness exists in a vacuum and this idea of comparison. And in some ways... Um, I do think happiness can exist in a vacuum or I have found it that when I'm more solitary, it's easier to be satisfied somehow. I'm not constantly seeing people, whether it be their, their presentation or is more authentic of them being successful or happy or something that I want to be. And when I spend more time with myself, I'm like, okay, who do I want to be? I'm forced Mm. to evaluate my own yeah criteria and it's just a lot easier to be like to you know be like you know and i think it's partially why i don't have internet at home it's a lot easier to just cut myself off because it's it makes it easier to reach that solitary satisfaction yes yeah. and the thing is it's also more reliable like and you know i'm sure people have heard the idea like you know C.S. Lewis's quote, like, the only way to prevent heartbreak is to lock your heart away and turn it to stone, blah, blah, blah. Mm. <laughs> wow, he wrote blah, blah, blah? Uh, yeah. Wow. I mean... I, I didn't... I haven't read that one. I mean, you haven't read much of what he wrote, so... Mm, clearly. Yeah. Um, and while I understand that, that, the, you know, to, to hide away from any sort of hurt, it also hides away from any sort of joy and whatnot but it's still that idea of hiding away is always deeply appealing to me like yeah so So, there's a a book called simulation and simulacra yes i borrowed that from you and read most of it and so baudrillard the author and i never remember if it's simulation and simulacra or simulacra and simulation but it's the same thing anyhow uh in that book he basically conveys the idea or the argument that none of us know what happiness is because we have been told that buying cars commercials tell us that buying this car will make you happy or doing this and so we have been our definition of happiness has been completely shaped by commerce advertisement Mm -hmm. and society and so he argues in some ways that none of us have ever actually experienced true happiness because the we only can define happiness based on what culture has told us will make us happy. That's true. I'm always happy when I think about the car I bought. Right. I'm always happy about the car I own, too. No, you aren't. Yeah, I don't own one. so. I guess that's true. So in this picture, um, I, I wonder if, 
what Baudrillard's getting at is saying that we don't know what true happiness is because culture has constantly defined it, redefined it, and usually around capitalism, usually around commerce. And I'm wondering if part of what we miss as people of faith is how does the Bible define for us what is happiness? And if we were to spend more time trying to understand happiness according to scripture, um, would that reshape us? Would, would we stop expecting the green pastures when really what uh, brings us happiness is the patches of grass in the desert? Um, and so, yeah, so if you had to guess or you had to surmise on the, on the spot off the cuff, like how would you say the Bible defines and i'm not asking for the platitude the sunday school answer i'm asking like what do you imagine that the bible uh demonstrates to us or points out to us that can bring us happiness um i'm gonna try and answer that with thoughts i've already had and i think they align decently well okay and so going back to the start of this, you know, I talked about how walking into your, your apartment, just all these books on Judaism and Christianity and just that um, learning with you the context of, of history and of the Bible and learning about Judaism has been deeply, deeply fulfilling and meaningful and enriching. And part of it, it's, it's made my faith meaningful to me in many ways, like something, especially coming up to the season of Hanukkah, like. I think it was either a Hanukkah or Shabbat back in Blacksburg, and we lit the candle, and it's, um, um, was it Barak Adonai, um, God, Lord of the universe, we light this candle um, because you command it to sanctify us or something. On this holy day. Yeah. On this holy day. Good and job. Like, um, and just like the idea that my actions, um, you know, glorify God and like, following God's commandments brings me happiness. Yeah. Um, and I think like if you were to look, especially in the Psalms, you see that a lot, right? Like, you know, your, your word is a light unto my path and, you know, you know, there's joy in the Lord and, um, right. I mean, what they take from, I think, I think it's Joshua. Um, you know, this day there's, um, you know, as for me and my family, we will follow the Lord mm-hmm. and talking about, you know, following whatever promise he has. I don't remember the context. And I think then in Deuteronomy, it also talks about, I think Moses is telling them, um, you know, this day before you, you know, life and death have been set before you and choose life and being that Torah is life. So, um, yeah, so just the idea of, of taking joy in being able to accomplish the, and carry out the word of God. Um, yeah. So when you think about carrying out the word of God, how would you put that in a nutshell? Oh gosh, I have no idea because this one track in my mind while I'm saying all this is like, Oh, well, it's like, you want to give up pork then and like start lighting candles every Friday and like start going to service and like, um, I think there's other parts that make me happy, like the idea of caring for my neighbor and um, trying to seek justice and love mercy and to work for equality. 
um, and equity, um, work for justice. Yeah. Yeah. So your the first couple examples that you one. used with like the pork and the service and lighting of candles, I, I really think that that has very little to do with following the commands of God. I think that those are ritualistic things that we can do that uh, are meaningful and tell stories about what we believe about God, whether it be uh, God doesn't accept pork on the altar and therefore we don't eat pork uh, from our table. So mm -hmm. our table constantly welcomes God in some way, um, I think is beautiful, but it's, it's storytelling. It's, it's imagery that allows us to connect with God. Whereas I think the things that you said secondarily about you know, mercy and justice. Those are the things that I think that when, when I think about how does scripture teach us about what it means to be happy, um, happiness can't exist in a situation where justice is not being pursued. Biblical happiness, I would say. Yeah, I think we could um, bring in the idea of safety as well. Um, and broaden this. Um, yeah, and I realized that as I lifted those, one of those is, you know, my first group is very tangible things, and my second one's very nebulous, and part of me enjoys the first one because it's because it's tangible. It's right, like you I can, can see it, you can witness it. Yes, and just like, you know, uh, I think it's Martin Luther King, right? The long arc of history is bent towards justice. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's like, it's a, that's a long arc. And like that degree of change is very tiny. And it's hard to tell that it's, it's, it's arcing, right? It's yeah. like viewing the earth from the ground. You don't, the, the it horizon look looks round. flat. Yeah, yeah. And you gotta go. It's like, if you get Stand on the beach, maybe. And you might see a slight bend. That's, I was going to say like, um, what's that really? Mount Everest. Mm. Everest? Mm -hmm. Mount Everest. Yeah. Yeah. You go, go somewhere that tall and you can see that curve. Yep. Um, yeah. So let me read a verse to you from the Bible and get your reaction to it. Okay. Happy are people who are hopeless <laughs> because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Um, that seems completely, um, uh, contradictory. Okay. What about this one? Happy are people who grieve because they will be made glad. You know, I just want to point out, we don't put the Beatitudes in front of our courthouses. We put the Ten Commandments. So I'm not really sure what you're trying to get out of here. Happy are people who are humble because they will inherit the earth. I think you're just saying that to burst my ego. Happy are people who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness because they will be fed until they are full. It all sounds like, I mean, I don't know if this is just my knee jerk from Christian Christianity, but it's like that, that happiness is like after death happiness. It's not mm, current happiness. Interesting. Happy are people who show mercy because they will receive mercy. I mean, am I happy because I'm showing mercy or am I happy because I'm going to be the recipient of mercy? That's a good question. Happy are people who have pure hearts because they will see God. Um, well, if I go and read a bunch of Paul, I don't think I'm pure at all and I'll probably burn in hell. But uh, sure. Well, I need we need to work on how you read Paul then. All right. Happy are people who make peace because they will be called God's children. Uh, I don't think he my friends would say I'm a peacemaker. <laughs> <laughs> Not they in would, board games. They would say I'm a pot stirrer. 
Um, happy are people whose lives are harassed because they are righteous, because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Um, um, that could be a whole nother podcast about how to interpret and apply that. All right. Happy are you when people insult you and harass you and speak all kinds of bad and false things about you all because of me. Be full of joy and be glad because you have a great reward in heaven. In the oh. same way, people harass the prophets who came before you. Oh, great. So I can look forward to be cut in half in front of the altar or something. Well, let's let's take a moment real quick because I think verse 12 is, is important. Be full of joy and be glad because you have a great reward in heaven. So yeah, I just need to be glad because I'm not going to burn in hell and I have some eternal reward. All right, Yay. well, let's, let's set aside some of our... sarcasm for yeah, our listeners. Yeah, let's set aside some of that, uh, that thick sarcasm. So Matthew, right, is the one that wrote this. Mm-hmm. Or it's including Matthew's yes, gospel. because it's kingdom of heaven, yeah. Right, because it says heaven. So kingdom of heaven or heaven means what to Matthew? Um, kingdom of God. Right, so, so Matthew so, uses heaven in replacement of what? God. Right, so listen to it differently. Be full of joy and be clad because you have a great reward in God. Like, it's not about someday in the world to come. In heaven, this is about that God is the reward, that uh, you can rest assured that even though your association with God causes people to harass you, to judge you, to put you down, that uh, it's their opinions of you um, aren't what will bring you happiness. It's being present with God that will bring you happiness, right? Um and I'm not saying that makes that any easier to deal with. I'm just saying that what we do with with uh, Matthew is we read heaven and we make it a future thing that we will go to as opposed to the ongoing presence of God already that exists. Even if you look at the, the beatitude prior to it, happy are people whose lives are harassed because they are righteous because the kingdom of God is theirs. Because if you're living a righteous life, you are participating in the kingdom of God, right? So, so these beatitudes or happinesstudes um, really flip on their head on its head how culture would define happiness, and I think we make a mistake with them. And I think one of the mistakes we make is that the more miserable you are, the more blessed you are. Because we use the word blessed are those as opposed to happiness. And I think that that's a, that's a huge whiff on the Beatitudes. Because I'm not more blessed because I'm harassed. I'm not more blessed because people reject me. But in people's rejection and in the suffering of the world, I can still find happiness. The happiness doesn't disappear. It doesn't dissipate because of my current circumstances. It just depends on what I'm looking for to bring me happiness. Like, what is it that I believe is what I need to have happiness? And I think that's what the Beatitudes are doing, are saying, you know, it's kind of Job. If you read Job in the way that, you know, our ancient Jewish brothers and sisters read Job, which was how many blessings do you have to have? in order to declare God to be true and good and beautiful. And so the whole 
book of Job is one blessing at a time being removed from Job and seeing if Job still declares God to be good. And so Job is actually living out the Beatitudes in some way to determine where is your happiness? Is your happiness from the blessings or is it from something much more deep in you? Right? Like, because when I think about happiness, I tend to think about it in terms of uh, we have a nice home and we have a dog, though the dog doesn't always make me happy. Um, but we have these things and I use society's terms of to define what makes me happy. And what it seems to me the Beatitudes in the book of Job is doing is that there's something far greater that can stir happiness in our soul. I don't know, what are, you, what are your thoughts? Um, Job doesn't seem like a really happy fellow. That's that's probably my the clearest one to go for first. And According to our culture yes. and our expectations. So yes, right. So so it goes back to like so with my my concept of of happiness, like is that a biblical like I guess is that biblical? Like well where like and in the way you're talking about Job, like I I have this trust that God is good and a lot of times it's in very communal sense, like God is good to and faithful to the to the church, to the world. Um not not necessarily to me like my mm. life can be utterly miserable and that doesn't like mean god is not loving or faithful or good it's just, it's just um like i think i use the i use a twisted way of thinking of community mean that i can suffer and still have a good community or something um but i still have this like the idea, i guess the god the idea comes to me that god is like my my rock or my firmament is that the word um and just this something steadfast in my life is the goodness of god and the faithfulness of god and do you think at all that with a uh perspective shift that some point you might be able to view that as something worthy of being happy of creating happiness in you right i think about like the psalm where it says, uh, though you might stumble, you will not fall headlong because I hold your hand, right? That the world is still going to have the divots and the potholes and the things that cause us to trip. And But the promise is that there will always be patches of grass, uh, that you might go a long time in sand and desert, but there will be patches of grass when you need it. Um, and that picture of of that. Mm. I don't know. I mean, I think we've both been in dark enough places that like, um, it feels like we fell headlong or yeah, absolutely. And like, to think that God was still holding my hand that time. It's like, oh, that wasn't falling headlong. It's like, oh, great. I can go a lot further and things can get a lot worse. And yeah. and also just to think that 
what is it like that 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 verse like God will not give you more than you can withstand or bear and it's just like who decides that like if I decide this is too much for me like does that mean I'm wrong and then yeah and I'd also be willing to bet that that the you there would be plural if indeed we were to that's uh, true find that in the text that's probably true um because I'm not this is one place where you're going to... I'm not certain that's in Scripture. Do you know where that is? It's in one of Paul's letters. Is it? Okay. But I'd still be willing to bet. Uh, because there's so many sayings that we love to throw around that uh, aren't uh, that aren't in, in the text. And, you know, for me, I just kind of assume that that one is one of them. But even if it is in the text, I would be willing to bet that the U is plural. And that you corporately, that there won't be something too great for you corporately to handle. Um, that doesn't mean that some of us not might not be casualties of the circumstances. But as far as the faithful, as far as the world is concerned, that uh, there won't be something too great to bear. I think when we make it only individual and we remove community from it, then we... Uh, we put an unfair amount of weight on people to carry uh, through stuff. Mm. Um, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, but you can trust God who will not let you be tempted more than you can bear. That's one I see um, from my Google search results. Right, but tempted is different than yeah. Right, like I don't know. Like it also, I mean, still makes me feel bad to think of all the temptation I've gotten into. It's like, oh, you chose to to give into it because you weren't good enough or something. Um, Anyway, um, okay, maybe I'll have to look more. So what? What then? If we're gonna leave our listeners with something. Yes. What what would you say is is an important piece to remember about our pursuit of happiness other than it being a Will Smith movie? George, you'd be so proud of me. I made a pop culture reference that is not 20 years old. I did see that movie. It's probably 10 years old or more, but it's not 20 years. Yeah. Did you ask your question again? Uh, what would you like to leave the listeners with about the pursuit, their pursuit of happiness? I don't know if that's exactly what I said or not. I'm probably more lost after this podcast than before, so I'm not really sure I have any advice, especially given that... Excellent. I'm hoping that we really messed up our, our listeners. Sorry, folks. And especially given that the pursuit of happiness... Oh, wait. I'm thinking of a different movie. Is that the one where he, like... like uh, He's homeless and then uh, become, gets his degree and stuff and becomes, I think, a financial person. I don't remember. I think I'm, I'm thinking of Seven Pounds, which is very different. That's a very different movie. Yes, that is not. Yes, very different movie. Very different, and you shouldn't. I shouldn't apply that to the pursuit of happiness. No, it's it's a different.
different thing. Oh, yep. Okay. So just, I don't know if I, I think I feel more confused now than when I started. So for me, when I think about our pursuit of happiness, I think there's a few things that are important for us to be mindful of. One, uh, happiness can't be found in the comparison game. It just can't. Um, and two, we have to remember that some of the expectations that we have growing up in America, where we've been promised, I mean, we've really been promised the world, right? Mm. And, and we, in some ways, have, in the same way that Grimm's fairy tales have been censored to be more palatable to our Western culture, our future uh, hopes have also been censored to our Western culture. And that if we compare ourselves to the ideal, we will always be flawed. And that's just not a fair thing for us to do to ourselves, right? Like if you compare yourself to the perceived perfect version of you, you will never be happy with who you are. You will always have failed. And instead, we need to recognize that we are perfect as we are now and that there's not a more perfect version to compare to. And so in the midst of that, I think it's easier to find the moments or the spaces of happiness or the patches of grass, if you will. Mm -hmm. So maybe, I guess, to try and leave on the happy notes. Um, Very important to us. Based off where you said, so this past weekend I watched the Endgame, the Avengers Endgame um, and there's this scene with are you Thor. gonna are you gonna spoiler alert? Um, spoiler alert. Okay. okay. Um, I haven't seen this movie yet, so I'll have to. So there's this scene with Thor, <laughs> and he's being told that we all fail at who we are supposed to be, but we can all succeed at who we are meant to be. Oh, that's awesome. Yes. That's really good. Go Thor. Not he, only he great was, abs and great that. hair. No, he 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 was someone told him that. He still, didn't say that. Still, I mean. I mean, go Thor. Well, we can watch Endgame together. I wouldn't mind watching it again. Yeah, probably There's a lot not. in it. Oh, okay. Never mind then. Not interested. Okay. I'll read the comics. I'm a purist, Lee. I'm a purist. I don't need any of that cinematography crap. I got the comic books. Well, thanks for joining us this week. I have been your co-host, Don. And this has been... Lee Johnson. <laughs> Sounding like she's making a collect call. Uh, It's my telephone voice. Yes. So thank you for joining us this week. We hope and pray that you find peace, joy, happiness, and hope over the Advent season. And uh, enjoy the holidays. Thanks, Lee, for being on. I really appreciate it.